everybody out there. It's Nathan from BitMart with my colleague, Matt Ryan. And we've got another episode of BitMart Fights for you, the new show where we kind of break down some of the headlines that we do collectively in NFT 101 and Crypto Conversations, our respective podcast. Matt, we're gonna call this one Still Alive at Five. Can you believe we've even made it five episodes right now? Well, yeah, the conversations we have are fun. People seem to be enjoying them. And uh, we've got fans on Discord. Shout out to Father Elijah, who's running the ship over there on the Discord machine. But yeah, Nathan, it has been an interesting ride so far the last couple of weeks. The title's getting longer. The SEO <laughs> becomes more of the lifeblood of this show and it's an opportunity for us to talk about things that we've seen over the course of the week. We've got eight stories as we do every single week. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Get all that fun nonsense out of the way. Nathan, we've got some stories on tap. You're looking pretty dapper, my friend. What do you got on for Monday? So this has been a pretty interesting week in crypto. The markets have been pretty stable um, and Bitcoin has even gone up a little bit. Uh, we know that the Ethereum merge is supposed to be coming up in a little bit less than a month now. Everybody who's watching this, make sure to watch out for the next couple of Brain Trust episodes. We're going to be going deep into that. But for Monday of this week, uh, unfortunately, a little bit of a negative story again. You know, we've talked about hacks and exploits all the live long day, I feel like, Matt. And we've got another one here that came up and this had to deal with a stable coin called Akela. I was actually not familiar with Akela as a stable coin, but it was apparently becoming pretty popular until the protocol got its liquidity pool got hacked. Um, hackers issued 1.3 billion tokens and it fell 99%. So to all those on the Akela train, I'm sorry that it crashed right now, but this, this seems to be a common trend, especially with new stable coins um, and doing bridges and stuff like that. What are your thoughts on this, Matt? Well, it comes back to the security conversation that we have nearly on every podcast we do. And when someone can completely flood the market, no matter how good your intentions are, no matter what you can do to bring stability with a stable coin, there's always going to be someone in the background mucking about and trying to create chaos. This is an internet-based industry. And as long as there has been an internet, there have been people who troll, who hack, who look to bring you down. Like you do do you remember the message board days, Nathan, of of like the IRC chats and these the P PBP boards all the way back in the early 2000s, mid 2000s? You know, I remember things like Newgrounds or forums like that, but the ones you specifically mentioned, I'm not entirely familiar with. I know the concept, though. Yeah, it, these were proto-Reddits where the internet was the actual Wild West. And you see more and more people who utilize meme tokens or meme NFTs. Like, this is mana for people like that. And they create situations to where they will create this level of chaos. And it's out of the fact that they can. Like most hackers, most trolls do it for the sake of the fact that they can do it. A lot of these are people who are agnostic 
to a specific coin or to a specific financial ideology. These are just people who do things for the lulls or do things because they can and they want to. And the that's only going to persist if security is not the paramount issue that every currency, every exchange, every NFT business focuses on for the next year. Because we've seen internet security ratchet up. We see less and less of these major hacks because I think a lot of people are pivoting to decentralized finance because it is inherently decentralized. And it creates this Wild West thing. Like the internet at its purest form was a bastion of chaos. And I think that decentralized currency is a brilliant idea and there's many, many uses for it. But to not have security be the chief concern, it's just history repeating itself and people failing to take a step back and see where other major booms in Web 2, Web 1, whatever you want to call it, where they faltered or how they faltered. It's it, it grew also. It was it was there was a process to it. Like we talked about before with Bitcoin. It happened over time, but there were two big booms that really precipitated it. And whenever something explodes, everybody's through the barn door. So you have, you know, housewives doing it, but also East German dudes who were up at four o'clock in the morning trying to find a way to hack into a wallet or hack into a mainframe. That stuff's always going to happen. Yeah. And there seems to be a particular um, attraction to hackers going after stable coins because everybody freaks out as soon as the stable coin, which is supposed to be worth a dollar or whatever currency it's pegged to, a one-to-one -one, suddenly goes to 95 cents or 90 cents. And then it kind of creates a, what they sometimes call a death spiral of like, it just goes down, 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 down. So the, you know, the positive note to end this though, is that apparently the Akela community is, is of a decent size and the way they're trying to remedy this is they're apparently trying to move forward and say, well, the hackers created those tokens. Those tokens aren't real money. Um, we're just going to burn those and go back to the way Akela was before the hack. So we'll see how this works. It's, it's unfortunately another exploit, as we've, uh, as we've discussed many times. But there is maybe light at the end of the tunnel for this. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that 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 token burn really does them a favor and really gives them an opportunity to to right the ship and keep the community going. Because I you don't want you don't want anybody affected by this. You don't want it to turn into a Luna mm -hmm. situation or a Terra situation where people are still digging out of the hole months after the initial bust of Luna and and the rebuild and all of these things. Like you don't want that to be a persistent problem, but every week in the headlines, somebody's getting, someone's being, their security is affected. Someone's information is being tampered with. It's, it's the growing pains of an industry that is very volatile. Exactly. And before we move on to your story, Matt, I just wanted to say that this is, this is the proper use of a token burn. This is analogous to, let's say you created a bunch of Matt dollars with your amazing smiling face on it and you started putting them into the economy um this would be you know synonymous to if every time a mat dollar came up 
you could take it to a bank, they'd destroy it, and they'd give you a quote real dollar, right? So that eventually this fake currency that has gotten out, it's gone and we get back to the kind of real deal that people have agreed upon. So it could have a light at the end of the tunnel. I guess we'll see. You have an interesting story, though, with an alternative to a very popular platform. Certainly, yes. Popular online streamer, the second most popular female Twitch streamer in the world, Amor Ramth, is starting something or partnering with a Web3 group to create the Shush Club, which will be an NFT alternative to OnlyFans. And if you are not a person who utilizes OnlyFans, um, we won't explain it. Um, it is a fan <laughs> club service in which you pay a fee. It's for fans. The creators, <laughs> yes. It's it's for fans, but it's specific creators charge specific amounts a month, and you get access to their content or can buy pay-per-view content from them. And Amaranth has moved over from Twitch where she had, per this article, and all articles are available in the show notes, whether you're watching or listening to this episode of BitMart Bites, she has over 5.5 million followers on Twitch. That oh. is a significant amount. She also, this Amoranth, owns a growing number of gas stations, a pool toy company, and <laughs> this partnership <laughs> with Shush Club. The gas stations, that's... That's a solid investment because gas is like through the roof right now. I just wanted to commend her on that. Yeah, no, uh, so she is a lot of the women who or uh, people in general, no matter if you're a man sure. or non-binary, yep. who utilize OnlyFans have been able to commoditize themselves and their person personalities and their brands. And they have a lot of smart financial sense to them. It's yeah. kind of like the Paul brothers and your opinions about them are your opinions about them, but they know how to brand, they know how to make money, and they know how to develop predicated on the cult of personality. I'm super excited to be working with Shush Club, she said on Twitter the other day, noting that the platform is going to shake things up with instant payouts and a marketing portal that actually connects content creators to affiliate marketing advertising deals. Shush Club is looking to bridge the gap between OnlyFans, Twitch, YouTubing. This is a really interesting business and is going to be predicated on adult entertainment NFTs. They're describing themselves as a blockchain blockchain alternative to contemporary content platforms. So they're going to utilize the chain. They're going to utilize NFTs. They are looking to create an adult NFT marketplace and offer content creators a seamless entry into this lucrative market. You know, we talk about the free market on this show. We talk about the ability to be decentralized and not be dependent on fiat currency and so many things that this is an amazing use case for NFTs, for crypto, because this is that decentralized platform and it's giving people the opportunity to pay and own content that they want. And also sex work is real work. And to have it go from just being something you have to go into a video store with all those beads on it in the 1980s and 90s or buying <laughs> magazines with brown paper bags and the covers concealed to it being a respected, legitimate business that has facilitated hundreds of millions, not to be crass, but the two in there, the two businesses 
that have utilized technological innovation the best over the last 40 years have been pro wrestling and pornography. When you look sure. at the the advent of home video, when you look at the advent of pay-per-view, when you look at the con ideas of web streaming and online content and online video, pro wrestling and pornography have been the use cases to show that things like this can work and will work because wrestling is a very interesting niche business and pornography is something that can attract every single able-bodied adult um who's over the age of 18 like there your your market share in that business is a niche but there's so many different ways you can go about it and this just seems like logical progression to me after the rise of OnlyFans and the rise of direct to consumer content that we've seen in the adult marketplace I don't have much to add um, beyond what you said, Matt, because you just put it so succinctly there. I just love the name, the Shush Club, because it could only be one of two things, an adult content creator platform or an old ladies library club where they're going around the library telling people, hey, this is a library, and that's how they get their kicks. So that's really it. It's, it's, I have no comment other than that. Um, we can move on to my, my next story for Tuesday, if you want to. What do we got? We got a, uh, you know, kind of similar to the story that we just uh, got off of with, with uh, you know, OnlyFans being a crowdfunded platform and Amaranth starting a new crowdfunded platform. There's actually going to be a crowdfunded film, uh, specifically a documentary about trying to find out who or what happened to satoshi nakamoto and this is going to be a film called i am not satoshi that's going to be crowdfunded through the avalanche platform and explore the search and debate over the mysterious bitcoin creator's identity so it's essentially a kickstarter project but it's not happening on kickstarter or any of those centralized platforms it is happening through the avalanche platform which i am only slightly familiar with, but I know that they have NFTs, they can do smart contracts, all sorts of stuff like that. It's, um, it's by a director named Chris Canucciare, who has already done a documentary in 2016 called Banking on Bitcoin. So he's kind of a crypto native, but a very interesting way to crowdfund and make a documentary. Yeah, I agree. Um, if, if it's being hosted on a blockchain platform that makes a lot of sense and for me it goes back to that niche conversation if you're able to get people who are already level one wave one consumers of crypto you're going to get a fair amount of people now i i don't know the exact number of people who utilize the avalanche platform but it is one of the more well-known in the industry but my question for you nathan is would a documentary like this entice you to join that platform and utilize what they're doing to watch that documentary or since it's on a platform you're not subscribed to utilizing a service you're not a part of does that make it less interesting to you because it for the era of streaming so much of it is about availability and accessibility if i want to watch spin city for in instance which has been yeah. one of those shows you binge in the background since the start of the pandemic, I have it on Pluto. I can put it on Pluto. 
or HBO. Like if I want to watch The Sopranos, I know it's on HBO Go. I have an HBO Go account. Bang, bang. When you're looking at stuff that's not that's off the beaten path of the major streaming services you use, does that make it harder for you to invest in another product or what search out something? Have we become too accustomed to just utilizing the services we have? And is this a lost opportunity for for Avalanche and for this documentary? Well, that is a super interesting question because it's actually not clear from this article where the film will be hosted. Like if it will be um, only available on the Avalanche network and you'll have to use Avalanche uh, tokens, which I believe are AVAX to watch the film, or if this is just kind of like a financing offering where you have to use Avalanche tokens to finance the film. It's in its very early stages. And I expect that like most documentaries, uh, if this were to be done really quick and dirty, it would still take a year probably. So we're probably maybe a year to two years from this actually going live. And I, I want to say from the article, once again, it's, it's very new information that Avalanche is just being used to fund the film and sort of like a fractional ownership um, sort of model. But that's a good question. If you had to use Avalanche to watch it, perhaps I could be enticed to buy some Avalanche and use it. Um, that would depend because I'm just, it's one of those blockchains out of maybe a dozen that I, I know exist. I know people use it. Um, I'm just not super familiar with it and it's not big on my radar. I know that it is technically a growing platform. I'd love to know why they decided on using Avalanche versus Cardano or Ethereum or any of the other like kind of more popular blockchains, Algorand maybe, but I'm, I'm just not sure. I'm kind of left with more questions than answers in this article. And it's really more of like a peek at like, wow, you know, people, the quest for Satoshi Nakamoto is still relevant. Um, my personal opinion is that Satoshi Nakamoto is either dead or has disappeared long, long ago. There's no reason why they wouldn't have come up um, now that they are like the world's first trillionaire or something like that. So it's going to be an interesting documentary, but if I have to use Avalanche to watch it, I don't know. That would be a thinker for me. Who knows? It would depend on when the film is released and how it is released. I have to believe at some point it'll be on the streaming platforms because it's going to be, it's going to be a cool documentary from what it looks like. Yeah, hopefully it's an informative documentary. Hopefully it's not like a waiting for Godot or waiting for Guffman situation where, you know, we spend the entire documentary trying to figure out who the guy is and then we don't get any further than some scant pieces of information or he was Satoshi Nakamoto was the friends you made along the way ends up being the log line of the of the documentary. <laughs> but when you you're saying he's the world he could be the world's first trillionaire if it is an individual if it is one singular person who is satoshi that's i wouldn't want anybody to know who i am or where i am if well, i'm the first trillionaire yeah. i i it's... would have the money to say peace out i'm out <laughs> i bought an island none of you are going to ever hear from me again or they're just really chill and want to live their lives that that's the effect like the the like if tesla or or any of these great inventors existed in this time period how many of them would end up being like satoshi who create this thing and disappear into the ether or would they be an elon musk where they have become much more 
they their personality and their brand have obfuscated any of the positive things that they have done or any of the the things they've contributed to society their contributions have been out you know outshone by the actual person yeah i mean that is such a grand and far-reaching question that is literally people have spent entire three-hour podcasts discussing satoshi um what that means for bitcoin if it's a guy if it's a gal if it's a group of 12 people if they're dead if they're alive and that's the thing that kind of harkens back to what makes bitcoin so different is that bitcoin truly is leaderless it was people commonly actually compare bitcoin to a religion because people have this inherent belief in it the belief grows the adoption grows but you say who leads it um who gave birth to it and it's almost has like this virgin birth kind of mentality to it because we still because Bitcoin is a fully auditable and fully transparent network, um, we still know where Satoshi's wallet is. He's the biggest coin holder, uh, he or she or they. And there's often doom and gloom scenarios where they say if Satoshi ever returns and dumps their coins back on the market, since they own some ridiculous amount of coins um, in, the, in the low hundreds of thousands or early millions, I believe. Remember, there's only a supply cap of 21 million it would essentially wreck BTC for any institutional investors or retail investors before it either started back up again or something like that. And, and then of course you have the problems of having a leader. Maybe, maybe we don't like the leader. Maybe the leader has different politics or ideas than us. It's, it's what makes Bitcoin amazing. And so different now is the fact that it is leaderless and it's just a protocol. So I, this documentary can't answer that because I don't think that anybody can answer that. Um, well, doesn't that make it more like the dollar than anything else at this point? Because you can see a lot of coins that are looking – we see people who have created Ethereum. We see like all these people who have created these Bitcoin competitors. Bitcoin is the standard because it was the first one or at least the first one to really pop. And to have that kind of mystery behind it. Now, it makes it feel more a part of our society, more embedded in our society, because you can't find the guy that created it. You could point mm -hmm. out the person who created Ethereum, the group that made Ethereum, the group that made Luna, the group that made like there's people that exist. You you see them. They are the front facing humans of the project. You don't have that with BTC. And I think that's helped with the adoption of BTC because. It's communal. It has a set cap. There's this person in the background that's spoken of that's more lore than actual human being. So I think it's better to sell that narrative when there's no front-facing person. Because we've seen that with exchanges where the people who front the exchange are the face of the company. Everything that is done about the exchange is with them right in front of your face. And then when bad things happen, or when troubles happen, that's where the, the weaponization comes. And also we saw with a project uh, on the NFN a couple of weeks ago where the founders were completely ousted and someone else came in and took over the community. That is, you know, that's seemingly not a problem here. There, there is no steward. There is no governor. And I think that helps the market for BTC more than anything. Because you see it, you see it with CEOs too. They get that hero complex, and it becomes a big problem down the line. 
Yes. And that, and that is why BTC is so unique and so interesting. I mean, if you, if you truly want to go down the rabbit hole on BTC, you start getting into complex math, you start getting into the SHA-256 uh, algorithm that goes on to it. There have been many, many people smarter than me that have studied it inside and out because it's an open source protocol. And there's, you know, Steve Wozniak, uh, one of the co-founders of Apple, says that Bitcoin is like a mathematical dream. It's, it's a it's a genius invention. It's this, that, and the other. And it, it's kind of odd. It is almost like, I hate to use the words divine intervention, but that's the easiest way to talk about it. Bitcoin could only be the way that it is if we didn't know who Satoshi was and the fact that they, they he, she, it has walked away and will never come back. If it were to be any other way, BTC would probably just become like any other coin and would suffer the fate of those other coins. So it is a truly, if you'd like to go down the rabbit hole on BTC, start with the first uh, 10 hours of reading and you'll go hundreds and hundreds past then. I've been into it now for three, four years, and I sometimes feel like I've just barely scratched the surface. It is fascinating. But enough about BTC and Satoshi, because I could literally talk about that all day, Matt. Your, <laughs> next, your next piece right here is that Hit Piece is back with legit artists. I'm not familiar with Hit Piece. You're going to have to explain this to me. So a few months ago, a product called Hit Piece hit the market where people could buy NFTs of album art. Problem oh. was they didn't own the rights to the art. They were just putting <laughs> stuff up. Not good. Not a good idea. But this is back in February when that initially happened. This story coming to us from Pitchfork, one of the best music websites out there. Uh, after a social media uproar, Billboard reported that hit piece founder Rory Felton relaunched the platform. It's in an initial preview, a pre-launch, as it were, a soft launch. And he says, we need to be buttoned up whenever we allow any portion of our service to be publicly available. By buttoning up, I mean having secured the necessary rights to any content that is made available through our platform. You think? Like, I, I, if you're, if we're, when we launched the NFT service here at BitMart, sure, I couldn't just upload a JPEG of, you know, the, the Eiffel Tower. I couldn't just upload random, I couldn't upload the Ready to Die album art. Love that album. But you, 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 when you're working on a demo of a website and it's out there and you're marketing it and you're pushing it, you're, you're complicit in the fact that you're selling a lot. And they've they've put stuff on the platform. Now they have 10 artists listed as creators. Little Got It, Matt Ox, ATL Jacob, Little Nar, Fuse 808, Ufi, King Midas, and a few others. They're determined to launch this to convince skeptics that it's a legitimate, not scam business. And that's always a good thing. That is, you know, that's <laughs> business 101. Yeah, that your business <laughs> is not a scam. <laughs> I, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll let you continue in one second, Matt, but I was like, you know, I don't have a business degree. I have a journalism degree, which say whatever you want about that. I have a media <laughs> studies degree, so it's, a, you know. So we are simpatico. Uh, but I would guess that the, one of the first things they teach you in business is um, that if you're going to sell stuff, it has to be your stuff, because otherwise that's illegal and the police will come and put you in handcuffs. That's just mm -hmm. a very basic rule that we learn in kindergarten is that um, you can't take other people's stuff. So yeah, no, I, 
no no thievery in this dancery like i i don't get it like if you're putting this thing out there and you're trying to push the idea that they, they say they're in talks with record companies they're working with music rights identify identification company audible magic to help verify ownership of new music prior to minting an nft so only ensuring legitimate content is distributed but nathan i just when you I mean, start when you start stepping on rakes the only thing you're creating is the opportunity for you to have more rakes to step on i you know and i want to ask you this question because you're born and raised in brooklyn um, unless yeah. i'm incorrect on that no you are correct we are kind of old enough to where sometimes I would hear my father or grandfather say that, you know, back in the day before security cameras, before the internet, certainly before cell phones, uh, you'd be able to buy stuff from people at a lower price. And you'd say, oh, well, why is it a lower price than what I could get at the store? And they'd say, oh, you know, it fell off the back of a truck mm -hmm. and I picked it up and I didn't want to throw it away or something like that. Um, and, you know, hey, that's how black markets work. That's, you know, some, some people say that black markets are the freest of the markets, but we digress. That's something that you can potentially do when there's nobody watching you and there's no internet, when there's no surveillance. But as soon as you put something on the internet, like, did they just think that like, nobody's going to find out like the original creators, did they just think that like, oh, nobody's going to find out they were selling this stuff and like, we're not paying them like, we're taking other people's stuff and selling it. It just, it blows my mind that like you put something on the internet, it's public. I get that you might not think you're popular enough, but like somebody's going to find out because it's like, it's like being naked in front of a window. You're like, you should be surprised if somebody points at you and says, hey, we see you. You're out in the open. It, it boggles the mind. That's all I have to say. Well, it's because, well, the fire Festival is a perfect use case for this. You keep going until you get caught, and then you figure out how to undo what you did. And you see how that went in the fire festival, and you'll see how that works now. Like, when you go back to Napster, like if you use, you use Napster as an example, the, that's theft, basically. Um, we all did it in the early 2000s and the 90s. <laughs> But we all allegedly did it. Allegedly, I think. I think the, I think, uh, you know the, the that uh the time has passed. You know, I don't think we're getting arrested for that. And also at this point, I think saying you use Napster makes you seem older and not like a criminal. But we'll move on here in a second. But yeah, no, like you're you're walking out in the middle of Times Square and you're saying all these things. Like if you buy a billboard in Times Square, you know, rhetorically, metaphorically. Like these guys did. Like they're getting covered in billboard. They're getting covered in pitchfork. They're getting covered by major music publications. So they walked into this swinging a bat saying, look at us, look at us, look at us. All the while they were wearing balaclavas and just trying to pocket merchandise on their way out the door. It's not really the best way to go about it. But we've got another story. Let's head on over to Wednesday. Nathan, what do you got for us? Well... You know, I do have some positive news here. According to Chainalysis, because we've been in this bear market, you know, since since November, and the market has recovered slightly, and but Bitcoin seems to be pretty stable. It's it hasn't dipped down below twenty in quite a while. Um, because a lot of coins 
and tokens are depressed and there is less money in the market, certainly than there was six months ago, Chainalysis has said that crypto crime has fallen and it's actually fallen by 15% along with the bear market. And that if you compare the crypto crimes last year, even with all the exploits that we talk about and you know, even the Akela hack that I just, that I talked about, it's still less than what was happening in July and August of 2021. It's in fact, they, according to Chainalysis, the total scam revenue for 2022 is 65% lower than it was through the end of July of 2021 and mm. only sits at 1.6 billion compared to, I want to say it was 4.5 or maybe 5 billion. I'm terrible with percentages, but 65% down gets us at 1.6 billion. So it's, it's kind of a positive of the bear market if you want to look at that, but you know, Will it come back when the bull market returns with force, which I think that it will? Um, I'm not sure when, but it, it certainly probably will. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, got, I, got, I, got little, I got little to say about this. This stuff's a little out of my depth, but crime is never going away. The fact that it's lower is all, if it hit a, if it drops 15% with the bear market, that's, I think, more indicative of the market than it is of the criminal. I, I think that they're waiting for another boom again because when there's more money, people are less careful. When there's less money, people are way more careful. It, it's, oh, absolutely. And I think it's yeah. that, that more than anything being the huge issue. But uh, the, it, that doesn't make me feel better. Like saying, hey, people have less money, so there's less crime. <laughs> yeah, um, I think we need to fix the institutions that that uh, that uh, set up facilitate crime more than it is, you know, if there's less money on the table, less people are going to be less inclined to to steal because it's the radar's up more. Everyone's watching how much they have. When the market's a little more free flowing, that's when the scams and the hacks and all these other things can happen. Like, and also, fifteen percent isn't a precipitous drop. Fifteen percent, it feels like a drop in the bucket in comparison to if if we're getting news stories every day about this stuff. Fifteen uh, percent doesn't feel like it's a much of a change. Yeah, and I mean, it is, it's it's kind of, uh, it's not crazy metrics, but, and of course, chain analysis can't, they can't tell us exactly why this is happening. Their guess is as good as ours. They just have more data around it. But they did, they did kind of end this article with saying that this change may also indicate that, you know, kind of like how Charles Hoskinson of Cardano says that the bear markets are a time to build because you don't have, you know, all this price noise and people hyping and stuff like that that during the bear market, because people have lost money legitimately or illegitimately, that they are less likely to fight to fall for cryptocurrency scams. So in a way, like kind of my positive spin to this is, you know, maybe now some more people have been through a bear market, they've been through scams, and it's just, it's going to be harder to scam people because adoption and education have increased. But I think I tend to agree with you, Matt, that I, I guess I'm glad that cryptocurrency crime is down 15%, but you know, 25% is a fourth, 15% is less than 25%. So 
we'll, we'll just take it. We'll just take it for what it is. <laughs> and my story from Wednesday is Anthony Hopkins is launching an NFT collection alongside Orange Comet. Hopkins is spreading his wings per this article from Variety and entering the metaverse. The 84-year-old actor said of the metaverse, it offers an incredible opportunity to connect with an audience in an entirely different way. And this is someone who's had their ETH wallet as their uh, name on Twitter before. The Eternal Collection is conceptualizing 10 different character archetypes that Hopkins has played, including the most famous one, Hannibal Lecter, in the Silence of the Lambs series of films. He's also played Odin in three Thor movies. Uh, this is trying to in encompass his entire body of work. The NFT will drop middle of next month, mid-September, on OpenSea. And a portion of the proceeds will be designated to a charity of Hopkins and his wife, uh, Stella Arrives, uh choosing. It's coming in three different phases, Nathan. You have the iconic category, which will be a single NFT incorporating all 10 of the archetypes. Then you have a legendary category, which will be 10 unique one-of-ones, and then a 1,000 one-of-ones based on the 10 archetypes. Each of these will offer different perks like lunch or dinner with Hopkins, uh, hmm. getting to speak with him on Discord. Uh, there's also a litany of other things. Hopkins is a painter himself. He's been putting on uh, art shows since 2005, uh, showcasing his art in all forms and facets. This is the, uh, you know, the continued normalization of NFTs. And when we see actors like Anthony Hopkins, and when you think of Anthony Hopkins, you think of Titus, you think of these huge works, these legendary films like the Silence of the Lambs, but you also think of just like polite British theater, polite British art and television, because Hopkins is one of the great actors of our time. And he kind of evokes a bygone era, like Silence of the Lambs was when he was in his 50s. This is someone who has ridden the wave of, of popular culture and someone who, you, when you say, oh, Anthony Hopkins is dropping an NFT collection, and if you, you just don't know the fact that he's got ETH or he's been in the crypto space for a while – you're completely bumfuzzled. It's like saying, oh, John Gilgood's going to get involved in NFTs or Ian McKellen's like, what? You know, that guy or, or like the cast of Are You Being Served? Like, it just doesn't make any sense, even though I would probably buy an Are You Being Served NFT. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Matt. I'm actually not the biggest Anthony Hopkins fan, but that's not because I don't like him. I just can't really think of much that I'd seen him in other than Sounds of the Lambs. He's obviously a huge name. And what I think is really great about this is that, you know, I think we, you've covered stories on NFT 101 where Anthony Hopkins, for some reason, he just got on the crypto train early. He's got the .eth address, which is an unstoppable domain. He's launching his own NFT brands. And like the guy is, um, <laughs> I mean, the guy is 50 plus, 53 years older than me. He's older than my father. And he's like, I almost feel like he's like ahead of me in crypto. So like, I kind of want to give him that applause. And at the same time, it's just, it's so random. It's, it's like you said, you name off a list of five actors or celebrities that you think would be in crypto. And I'll just never put Anthony Hopkins at the top <laughs> of it. So it's so random, but it's a good random. It's like, 
yeah, he's probably going to do well with it. It's probably going to be quality work if it reflects his acting ability. And I'm certain he's surrounded himself with smart people so that anytime he has a question, he knows how to get the correct answer. And, you know, God love him and Godspeed. That's all I have to say about that. Yeah, same here. I think uh, I think this is a good move. Um, it is startling, and hopefully, uh, as we grow and as we go, we see a Helen Mirren coin because uh, you know I think that you know <laughs> put some respect on her name. But let's move on to Thursday, and once again, all of these stories can be heard in full on the Crypto Conversations podcast feed on the Daily Crypto Watch and on NFT 101's podcast page on the non-fungible news. You can listen to those every Monday through Friday only on the NFT 101 and Crypto Conversation podcast feeds. And be sure to check the show notes if you want to read these articles yourself and you do the research. We do our own research, but that's kind of our job. If you want to do the reading and you want to get some good sources, check the show notes. But Nathan, we head to Thursday and the Ethereum fork we head we head to thursday with the upcoming ethereum fork also known as the merge woo but this is not uh really in line with the general merge story this is kind of a tangent that has been off to the sides for a long 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 time so a brief on the ethereum merge ethereum right now is a proof of work chain just like Bitcoin, it uses a lot of energy to solve complex mathematical problems in order to form the next block where they put transactions. The Ethereum merge, in quotations, what you know people are calling it and what the Ethereum Foundation is calling it, will transition it to proof of stake in which staked Ethereum on the network will lower the energy intensive uh, usage by, they claim, up to 99%. This has been in the works, no joke, Matt, for five plus years. And every year that it's announced, it's kind of like a joke that it's never going to happen. But this year, they seem extremely serious about the merge. And like I said, we won't go too deep into that because we're actually going to go deep into that on the Brain Trust. So if you want to go deep into the Ethereum merge for the next three, possibly four, maybe even five episodes, we're going to be talking about all the facets of the Ethereum merge on the Bitcoin Brain Trust. I'm sorry, the BitMart Brain Trust. I wish it was Bitcoin, you know, free Bitcoin. But so this is, this is a contention that so right now ethereum has miners it's a proof of work chain and the people that mine ethereum make a significant amount of money off of it because it eth has a decent price and they've already bought the equipment when ethereum transitions to proof of stake these miners will have zero they, they'll have zero incentive to do anything their their equipment will be essentially useless and they're kind of pissed about it and so there has been a contentious other fork where people say, we're going to fork the Ethereum chain and we're going to continue doing proof of work. And we're going to call this new token ETHW for essentially for Ethereum proof of work. And that what's funny about this token is it doesn't actually exist yet, right? Because Ethereum is still proof of work. So it hasn't forked yet. That's going to happen sometime around September 19th. So there's a couple of exchanges and uh, BitMart is not one of them. Um, don't quote me entirely on that, but my understanding is BitMart is not one of them because BitMart is supporting the proof of stake transition for Ethereum. They've been trading IOUs of the ETHW token, which once again does not exist yet because it will. the only way it will exist is when ETH forks and they keep doing POW mining. And the reason why the exchanges are issuing this IOU token is because they thought there's going to be a significant amount of interest 
from the ETH mining POW community and around the world that there's going to be people that don't want Ethereum to transition to proof of stake. However, the latest numbers have come in and it's not looking too good for ETHW. Um, it's down 62%. Once again, these are IOU tokens. They're not even real tokens. It continues to go down and it's kind of signaling that like, hey, even though you may be kind of a party pooper and you're complaining that Ethereum is transitioning your proof of stake, the general public and the world has spoken. And it kind of seems like everybody is agreeing that Ethereum should go to proof of stake. Now, if you're looking for an analogy to this in history, the only one that's coming to my mind without going down a deep rabbit hole is Bitcoin had a similar thing happen to it back in 2017 or so. And from that, you got Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Bitcoin Cash, every day that goes on, continues to be less and less used. I think it does still have a market cap of 100 or so dollars a coin, but it's not doing well. You can see that Bitcoin staying the way it was and staying slow to make changes has kept its market dominance and its market value. That's probably what's going to happen with this Ethereum fork here. ETH is transitioning to proof of stake. People don't want proof of work anymore. That's kind of the, the consensus of Ethereum and the people behind Ethereum. And so if you're trading ETHW, it might be better to just cut your losses now and go with the real deal Ethereum that the main chain will support. But interested to hear your thoughts on this, Matt, because I know this is very technical kind of, and I'd be happy to try and explain stuff. Yeah, basically it just feels like the, the people who did not see this coming, even though you said it's been in the works for about five years now, are getting their undies all in a twist because the thing that's made the money is not going to work anymore. So they said, I'm going to make my own casino with blackjack and hookers. But then they said, forget the blackjack and forget the hookers. And it's it, it just like, this is what happens when you try to build something without the same infrastructure. It, it becomes something to where it's untenable or ungovernable because the people in charge of it are doing things regressively as a re reflexively they're doing it against the the better environmental move in my opinion and it's it's created unnecessary chaos why not spend that time utilizing other ways to make your technology work for you or trying maybe to work within the new system and acclimate to the changes that are happening. Uh, a lot of, and also this goes into the zealotry of, you know, of non-traditional finance. These people have become fans of money. Like they're active fandoms of specific coins, specific chains, specific ideologies. At some point, money is money. It is not something to worship. It is not something to idolicize. It is not something you have to cap for. If it is moving on and you do not like it, remove yourself from that investment and find a better investment for you. If you're doing things out of spite in the market, that is a problem. 
Well, and the market often does not reward people acting out of anger or irrationality. It tends to, to wreck them um, over the medium to long term. And that's probably what's going to happen here because it's interesting. People, um, don't, uh, there's lots of people that don't like that Bitcoin is POW uh, proof of work right now as well. But Bitcoin and Ethereum have fundamentally different, um, different prospects and different use cases that they're doing. And there's um, a lot of research that goes into how Bitcoin, when it uses proof of work, goes to untapped energy sources or energy that's being wasted to keep it and stored as electricity as a store of value. There's countless, um, there's just so much information about how Bitcoin remaining proof of work might actually be good for the environment. I know that sounds non-intuitive. It's a fascinating rabbit hole to go down and I'll let everyone here decide what they think about that. But Ethereum is different. Ethereum probably should transition to proof of stake because it's not really supposed to be a store of value. It's supposed to be a smart contract platform. It's supposed to be a token that enables the world to work. It needs to move around. And so it actually needs to be less energy intensive to scale, to function, to work as intended. It has a fundamentally different use case than Bitcoin. And there's a reason why Vitalik Buterin has been trying to transition away from proof of work for, like I said, literally the last five years. It is no small feat at all. It has taken probably millions of man hours at this point and countless, countless developers. So I would tend to agree with you here, Matt. These people that are talking about ETHW, um, they're, you know, they are exhibiting a natural human reaction. They've invested all this money. They were making money doing this. I'm trying to think of a good analogy here. Um, this would be, this would be like when the car came out and you're making buggies and you're just trying to, <laughs> you're just trying to let horses like run into the street and see, see if these horses were on carriages, we wouldn't have all these horse problems. And you're like, no, I think that you're just releasing these horses into the street because you can't take the fact that cars are now the new thing. So um, yeah, that might've been a terrible analogy, but they are, they're, they're kind of just throwing a pity party here and Ethereum core developers themselves, the article ends here with a quote from Preston Van Loon, who is one of the Ethereum core developers who says, I expect that ETHW will be unsustainable because for this simple fact, there will not be enough buyers to absorb the constant sell pressure from miners. And eventually this currency will tumble to zero. So it's probably best to get on the ETH train that the majority consensus is on. It's going proof of stake. If you're really into proof of work, you can still be into Bitcoin. It's probably not gonna change anytime soon. Um, but I'd encourage our listeners to educate themselves on the difference of why these different chains are using these different consensus mechanisms. And like I said, the Bitmar Brain Trust will be going deep, 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 as deep as we can into the merge because it is essentially a historical event in cryptocurrency. It is fascinating. But um, unless you have anything else to add, Matt, here, we will end on your last story, which is a positive story, a not pity party story. No, the NFL have announced that the launch of their all-day platform, a partnership with Dapper Labs. Dapper Labs, a creator of NBA Top Shot, and this is kind of the NFL par the version 
This is the NFL parable to that. Uh, today, we welcome fans worldwide to NFL All Day, allowing them to experience their fandom in a new way that bridges emerging technologies of NFTs with our game. That was Joe Ruggiero, the VP of Consumer Products at the NFL. They did a soft launch in 2021, uh, and now they're going full bore. If you want to get a free NFT of Kansas City Chiefs quarterback uh, Patrick Mahomes, you can do so right now on their marketplace. They have... NFTs available as low as $12, some within the $200 range, a variety of things. You can get a Carson Wentz for 10 bucks, which I think is Carson Wentz's worth right now in the market. But there's a litany of, of ones available. There's players, you know, rookies that are worth five bucks or younger players that are worth five bucks, a variety of additions. There's 611 right now the most expensive nft on the platform though is a brett Favre ultimate nft that costs forty three thousand nine hundred and forty four usd there's a couple of legendary ones like a aaron Rodgers that is worth around 10 grand jamar chase who plays for the cincinnati Bengals, had an amazing year last year he's worth 10k there's a there's a litany of them up here that are one of ones or of 29, 59, like limited amounts. Like the Brett Favre one, there's only 10 available for sale. It is of his historic game on Monday Night Football against the Oakland Raiders following the passing of his father. One of the, one of the most iconic NFL moments, and I think that's a great way to commoditize the history of the NFL. As someone who's been on a tour of NFL films, the footage there and the memories that are contained in that building are precious. And this is a big way for the NFT, uh, the NFL to step into the NFT space and leading right up to the 2022-23 season. It makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, I actually really like this, Matt. It's, I mean, you know that I'm not a sports fan. I don't know much about sports, but this just seems to be like, a match made in heaven where I like that the NFTs are videos where they're commemorating sports moments because I thought when you started talking about the story that they were like the equivalent of like the trading cards or something like they were just still photographs. I think this is much more engaging. It is cool. And kind of like you said, um, a picture may be worth a thousand words, but a, a historic video moment, which is much more engaging to the human mind, is worth, what, a million words, a billion words? And the fact that they've limited these, they obviously know what they're doing. They got a good consultant. You know, even as a non-sports fan, I just think, like, this makes sense. It makes sense. It's exciting. I can see why they did it. You know, <laughs> NFL, NFT, they got the, they got the same lettering. It's just, <laughs> it, all, it all syncs up for me. And, it all up for me. and partnering with Dapper Labs, the people who created NBA Top Shot, which is one of the biggest NFT projects out there in the world right now. I'm not sure of the utility of this, but in terms of ownership and being able to own things and creating this idea of scarcity, this is a pretty big deal. And I, I do see this being popular. And we're working on a sports-based project here at uh, BitMart Content, uh, and that we'll have more co information about that soon. But we've got a nifty name and a nifty project, and we hope to be bringing that to you soon. And this is going to be a big part of that. But, Nathan, we have to wrap up here. This has been another interesting and delectable issue of BitMart Bites. Tell the people what they need to know. So, once again, thank you. 
my colleague, Matt Ryan, for helping me do this, um, from running the video and the audio to providing your great stories. I love that you teased here at the end. We do have a sports and crypto series coming out. It's still in the planning stages. When I release new series for BitMart, even though I'm doing them with the fabulous Matt Ryan and I know that nothing is going to go wrong, I'm slow to do it. I want them to be quality. I want them to be something that I would learn from, that I would be able to um, that would enter, be entertaining and that give you real knowledge about the, the crypto market and what's kind of going on in the culture with it. So all I'll say right now is yes, it's the intersection of sports and crypto and it has a clever name. We may shoot the pilot for it next week. It may be delayed a little bit. We're pretty busy over here on the content team at BitMart. So yeah, I will just say that that little teaser is right there. But we've come to another end of another episode of BitMart Bytes. We're calling this Still Alive at Five. I can't believe we're still here, Matt, but I'm glad that we're here. I'm glad to always look at your smiling face in the camera right there. And I want to say to everyone, the reason why we do this commentary show is because we have our respective podcast series. Matt has NFT 101 covering everything you would ever want to know about NFTs. And I have crypto conversations covering the wider crypto market at large, from regulation to policy, to hacks, to new innovations, to talking to about AMAs and people that are listing on BitMart. So between the two of us, we've got you, we've got you covered. So just be gracious that we're trying to bring you yet another quality series with the intersection of sports and crypto. That's all for me, Matt. If you could hit the subscribe and like button down below on this video, I would appreciate it. Otherwise, I'm good. Well, all right, on that note, we're gonna dust off onto the trail here. For all of us here at BitMart, that's Nathan. I'm Matt. We'll see you next time right here on the BitMart Bites. Don't be a jerk. Hey. Hello to everybody out there in crypto land. Did you enjoy that conversation? I know that I did. It's always interesting to learn more about crypto projects, NFTs, and what is going on in this very unique industry. But now we've got to get some legal stuff out of the way, all right? It's just the way that it is. So... I wanted to let you know that all opinions and actions expressed and undertaken by the hosts and guests are individual opinions and actions and do not reflect the views and actions of BitMart. BitMart does not guarantee the accuracy, applicability, reliability, integrity, performance, completeness, or appropriateness of this content. The value of digital currencies can go up or down, and there can be a substantial risk in buying, selling, holding, or investing in digital currencies. You should carefully consider whether trading or holding digital currencies is suitable for you based on your personal investment objectives, financial circumstances, and risk tolerance. BitMart does not provide investment, tax, or legal advice. Use of BitMart services is entirely at your own risk. Thank you.